On Turning into Forty from Chimney Pot Papers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosie. On Turning into Forty from Chimney Pot Papers by Charles S. Brooks. The other day, without any bells or whistles, I slipped off from the thirties. I felt the same sleepiness that morning. There was no apparent shifting of the grade. I am conscious, maybe, that my agility is not what it was fifteen years ago. I do not leap across the fences. But I am not yet comic. Yonder stout man waddles as if he were a precious bombard. He strains at his forward buttons. Unless he mend his appetite, his shoes will be lost below his waistcoat. Already their tops and hulls, like battered caravels, disappear beneath his fat horizon. With him I bear no fellowship. But although nature has not stuffed me with her sweets to this thick rotundity, alas, despot of tubes and bottles, no shadowy garden flourishes on my top, waving capillary grasses and a prim path between the bush. Rather, I bear a general parade, and smooth pleasance, open to the glimpses of the moon. And so at last I have turned into the forties. I remember now how heedlessly I had remarked a small brisk clock ticking upon the shelf as it counted the seconds, paying out to me, as it were, for my pleasure and expense, the brief coinage of my life. I had heard, also, unmindful of the warning, a tall and solemn clock as I lay awake, marking regretfully the progress of the night. And I had been told that water runs always beneath the bridge, that the deepest roses fade, that time's white beard keeps growing to his knee. These phrases of wisdom I had heard, and others. But what mattered them to me when my long young life lay stretched before me? Nor did the revolving stars concern me, nor the moon, spring with its gaudy brush, nor grey-clad winter, nor did I care how the wind blew the swift seasons across the earth. Let time's horses gallop, I cried. Speed! The bewildering peaks of youth are forward. The inn for the night lies far across the mountains. But the seconds were entered on the ledger, at last the grey penman has made his footing. The great page turns. I have passed out of the thirties. I am not given to brooding on my age. It is only by checking the years on my fingers that I am able to reckon the time of my birth. In the election booth, under a hard eye, I fumble the years and invite suspicion. Eighteen hundred and seventy-eight, I think it was. But even this salient fact, this mile-post on my eternity, I remember most quickly by the recollection of a jackknife acquired on my tenth birthday. By way of celebration on that day, having selected the longest blade, I cut the date, 1888, in the kitchen woodwork with rather a pretty flourish when the cook was out. The swift events that followed the discovery, the dear woman paddled me with a great spoon through the door, fasten the occurrence in my memory. It was about the year of the jackknife that there lived in our neighborhood a bad boy whose name was Elmer. I would have quite forgotten him, except that I met him on the pavement a few weeks ago. He was the bully of our street, a towering robe with red hair and one suspender. I remember a chrome bandage which he shifted from toe to toe. This lad was of larger speech than the rest of us, and he could spit between his teeth. He used to snatch the caps of the younger boys and went off with our baseball across the fences. He was wrapped, too, in mystery, and it was rumored, softly from ear to ear, that once he had been arrested and taken to the station house. And yet here he was, after all these years, not a bearded brigand with a knife sticking from his boot, but a mild, undersized man, hat in hand, smiling at me with pleasant cordiality. His red hair had faded to a harmless carrot. 
from an overtopping rascal he had dwindled to my shoulder it was as strange and incomprehensible as if the broken middle-aged gentleman my familiar neighbour across the street who nods all day upon his step were pointed out to me as captain kidd retired can it be that all villains come at last to a slippered state does dick turpin of the king's highway now falter with a crutch along a garden path and captain singleton now that his last victim has walked the plank does he doze on a sunny bench beneath his pear-tree is no blood or treasure left upon the earth do all rascals lose their teeth good evening elmer i said it has been a long time since we have met and i left him agreeable and smiling no certainly i do not brood upon my age except for a gift i forget my birthday it is only by an effort that i can think of myself as running toward middle age if i meet a stranger usually by a pleasant deception i think myself the younger and because of an old-fashioned deference for age i bow and scrape in the doorway for his passage of course i admit a suckling to be my junior a few days since i happened to dine at one of the purple pups of our greenwich village at my table which was slashed with yellow and blue in the fashion of these places sat a youth of seventeen who engaged me in conversation plainly even to my blindness he was younger than myself the milk was scarcely dry upon his mouth he was by his admission across the soup a writer of plays and he had received already as many as three pleasant letters of rejection he flared with youth strange gases and opinion burned in his speech his breast pocket bulged with manuscript for reading at a hint i was poking at my dumpling when he asked me if i were a socialist no i replied then perhaps i was an anarchist or a bolshevist he persisted no i answered him sadly and slowly for i foresaw his scorn he leaned forward across the table begging my pardon for an intrusion in my affairs he asked me if i were not aware that the world was slipping away from me god knows perhaps i had come frisking to that restaurant i left it broken and decrepit the youngster had his manuscripts and his anarchy he held the wriggling world by its futuristic tail. It was not my world, to be sure, but it was a gay world and daubed with color. And yet, despite this humiliating encounter, I feel quite young. Something has passed before me that may be time. The summers have come and gone. There is snow on the pavement where I remember rain. I see, if I choose, the long vista of the years with diminishing figures and tin soldiers at the start. Yet I doubt if I am growing older. To myself, I seem younger than in my twenties. In the twenties, we are quite commonly old. We bear the whole weight of society. The world has been waiting so long for us and our remedies. In the twenties, we scorn old authority. We let Titian and Keats go drown themselves. We are skeptical in religion, and before our unrelenting iron throne, immortality and all things of faith plead in vain although i can show still only a shabby inventory certainly i would not exchange myself for that other self in the twenties i have acquired in these last few years a less narrow sympathy and a belief that some of my colder reasons may be wrong nor would i barter certain knacks of thoughts serious and humorous for the renewed ability to leap across a five-foot bar i am less fearful of the world and its accidents i have less embarrassment before people i am less moody I tack and veer less among my betters for some meaner profit. Surely I am growing younger. I seem to remember reading a story in which a scientist devised a means of reversing the direction of the earth. Perhaps an explosion of gases backfired against the east. 
Perhaps he built a monstrous lever and contrived the moon to be his fulcrum. Anyway, here at last was the earth spinning backward in its course. The spring preceded winter, the sun rising in the west, one o'clock going before twelve, soup trailing after nuts, the seed-time following upon the harvest. And so it began to appear, so ran the story, that human life, too, was reversed. Persons came into the world as withered grandams, and as old gentlemen with gold-headed canes, and then receded like crabs backward into their maturity, then into their adolescence and babyhood. To return from a protracted voyage was to find your younger friends sunk into pinafores. But the story was really too ridiculous. But in these last few years, no doubt, I do grow younger. The great camera of the master rolls its moving pictures backward. Perhaps I am only thirty-eight now that the direction is reversed. I wonder what you thought, my dear X, when we met recently at dinner. We had not seen one another very often in these last few years. Our paths have led apart, and we have not been even at shouting distance across the fields. It is needless to remind you, I hope, that I once paid you marked attention. It began when we were boy and girl. Our friends talked, you will recall. You were less than a year younger than myself, although no doubt you have since lost distance. What a long time I spent upon my tie and collar, a stiff high collar that almost touched my ears. Some other turn of fortune's wheel, circumstance, a shaft of moonlight, we were young, my dear, a white frock, your acquiescence, who knows? I jilted you once or twice for other girls, nothing formal, of course, but only when you had jilted me three or four times. We once rode upon a river at night. Did I take your hand, my dear? If I listen now, I can hear the water dripping from the oar. There was darkness, and stars, and youth, yourself, white-armed, the symbol of its mystery. Yes, perhaps I am older now. Was it not Byron who wrote, I am ashes where once I was fire, and the soul in my bosom is dead. What I loved I now merely admire, and my heart is as grey as my head. I cannot pretend ever to have had so fierce a passion, but at least my fire still burns, and with a cheery blaze. But you will not know this love of mine, unless, of course, you read this page, and even so you can only suspect that I write of you, because, my dear, to be quite frank, I paid attention to several girls beside yourself. Yes, they say that I have come to the top of the hill, and that henceforth the view is back across my shoulder. I am counseled that, with a turn of the road, I had best sit with my back to the horses, for the mountains are behind. A little while, and the finer purple will be showing in the west. Yet a little while, they say, and the bewildering peaks of youth will be grey and cold. Perhaps some of the greener pleasures are mine no longer. Certainly, last night I went to the winter garden, but left bored after the first act, and I had left sooner except for climbing across my neighbours. I suppose there are young popinjays who seriously affirm that Zigfield's beauty chorus is equal to the galaxy of loveliness that once pranced at Weber and Fields when we came down from college on Saturday night. At Old Coster and Biles there was once a marvellous beauty who swung from a trapeze above the audience, and scandalously undressed herself down to the fifth encore and her stockings. And, really, are there plays now as exciting as The Prisoner of Zenda, with its great fight upon the stairs, three men dead and the tables overturned, Red Rudolph in the end, bearing off the princess? Heroes no longer wear cloak and sword and rescue noble ladies from castle towers. And Welsh Rabbit, that was once a passion and the high symbol of extravagance, in these days has lost its finest flavor. In vain do we shake the paprika can. Pup beer and real beer, its manly cousin, 
have neither of them the old foaming tingle when you come off the water yes already i am told i am on the long road that leads down to the quiet inn at the mountain foot i am promised to be sure many wide prospects pleasant sounds of wind and water and friendly greetings by the way there will be a stop here and there for refreshments a pause at the turn where the world shows best a tightening of the brake get up dobbin go long and then tired and nodding at last we shall leave the upland and enter the twilight where all roads end a pleasant picture is it not a grandfather in a cap yourself my dear sir hugging your cold shins in the chimney corner is it not a brave end to a stirring business life you say is a journey up and down a hill aspirations unattained and a mild regret castles at dawn a brisk wind for the noontide and at night at best the lights of a little village the stir of water on the stones and silence is this true or do we not reiterate a lie i deny old age it is a false belief a bad philosophy dimming the eyes of generations men and women may wear caps but not because of age in each one's heart if he permit a child keeps house to the very end if welsh rabbit lose its flavour is it a sign of decaying power i have yet to know that a relish for shakespeare declines or the love of one's friends or the love of truth and beauty youth does not view the loftiest peaks it is at sunset that the tallest castles rise my dear sir you of seventy or beyond if no rim of mountains stretches up before you it is not your age that denies you but the quality of your thought it has been said of old that as a man thinks so he is but who of us has learned the lesson the journey has neither a beginning nor an end now is eternity our birth is but a signpost on the road our going hence another post to mark transition and our progress the oldest stars are brief lamps upon our way we shall travel wisely if we see peaks and castles all the day and hold our childhood in our hearts then when at last the night has come we shall plant our second post upon a windy height where it will be first to catch the dawn End of On Turning Into Forty by Charles S. Brooks Recording by Rosie